Hey, welcome everyone. It's good to see you this morning. My name's Jake. I haven't had a chance to meet you yet. I'm one of uh, the pastors here at Midtown Church, and so glad that you're here with us. And we're going to actually kick off a brand new series today. We're taking a break from John. We're going to get back to John in three weeks, but for uh, the next three weeks, we're going to do a uh, little mini series from the Book of Proverbs that I'm really uh, looking forward to. The uh, it, we're calling it oh, Wisdom for Life, and. Um, I figured that it'd be a good uh, a good time to do this. We've got a couple of just kind of pressing things on us that we could say, hey, uh, talking about wisdom and helping us grow in wisdom, that could be a helpful thing for us, especially one. We've got this big vote next week on this merger that we may or may not be doing. And, you know, we're trying to ask God, God, what, what would you have us do as a church? And just kind of start feeling the need for wisdom. I thought, okay, hey, this would be a great a topic to kind of dovetail with that when people feel a need for something, it's a good time to have a chance to talk on that. So that's, that's one thing. And then just trying to be a Christian in our world today. It just, it's like you really feel the sense of, uh, it, it kind of gets complicated and you think, man, okay, how do I walk wisely as a Christian in our, our world today? Talking about wisdom right now could be a helpful thing for that. And just talking on wisdom in general is so helpful because we're just faced with so many choices these days. And it's part of, being uh, uh, in, in America and our freedom, as we got to celebrate that yesterday, but they, we have lots of choices before us. Things like, man, where do I work? What kind of work do I do? What kind of major am I going to have? Or, or uh, you know, who should I date? Or where should I live? Or how should I spend my time? And all those things really, most, most of the time, come down to wisdom. Like, how do I know what kind of choices I, I should make? Well, the way that we best know what choices we should make is by as a matter of wisdom. So let's talk about wisdom and see what the Bible has to say on that. So in this series, we're going to be in the first few chapters in the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs is a book that millions and millions and millions of people have uh, looked to for help, for wisdom over thousands of years to, to uh, gain understanding and to know how to walk through life wisely. And so we're going we're gonna to join them in that pursuit for the next few weeks. So anyways, looking forward to that. Let me, uh, let me read the passage we're going to look at today out of chapter 1. Uh, and as we do, let me just kind of lay out where we're going with the message this morning. We're going to talk kind of in chapter 1, you get the basics when it comes to wisdom. First, you get to see what wisdom is and then why should we try to get it and how we can begin to get it. So that's kind of where we're going with the message this morning. Let me read. We're going to be in Proverbs chapter 1, Marie verses 1 through 9, and then I'm going to skip down to 22 and then the last two verses of the chapter. So I won't read the whole thing for us, but you can follow along and follow along up here. Verse 1 says, uh, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction and wise dealing and righteousness, justice and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Then verse 22 says, uh, How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing, and fools hate knowledge? For the simple, verse 32, for the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me 
will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Let me pray and then we'll jump into this. Father God, I pray that you would open our ears to hear what you have to say from your word today, that, that we would grow uh, wise, or that we would uh, walk wisely, know how to uh, really reflect you and all your wisdom, and the decisions that we would make would honor you and that they would uh, benefit us, Lord, that they would not lead us to uh, destruction uh, or calamity as we're warned here, but that we'd make wise choices that are, ble- are honoring to you and a blessing to us and all that we encounter. God, make us wise and use this morning as a step in that direction for your glory, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so right off the bat, what we see in this uh, passage is that uh, Solomon says, okay, I'm writing these Proverbs. I'm writing this that you might gain wisdom, right? And so it's a good thing that we just would pause and ask the question, and what is wisdom? What is wisdom? And it's kind of a Maybe a tricky thing to define. I find that it's helpful to try to pull out a definition from just these first few verses by looking at a couple of the synonyms that he uses, a couple of the other words that he uses here to describe what wisdom is. And so let's look at those together first. The, uh, the word, first word that I want to uh, draw our attention to is the word insight. All right. So insight. Here you see, in, uh, you know, right at, right at the be, uh, beginning, verse 2, to know wisdom instruction, to understand words of insight. The word insight is an English word uh, that translates the Hebrew word, banah. And banah is a, uh, an interesting word that specifically means to notice differences. To notice differences or like to see fine distinctions that other people can't see, okay? So, like, I think about Sherlock. I don't know how many of y'all watch Sherlock, BBC Sherlock. is like, incredible. If you don't watch it, you should. It's so great. You got Benedict Cumberbatch, whose name is so fun to say. Yeah, like, he's, like, walks into a room, right? And he sees, like, 20 different or 30 different observations, different clues that all the rest of the detectives there have only seen, like, two or three. That's a good illustration of insight. Insight, you see like all these fine distinctions. You can see things. If, you've got a, if you're a man of insight, you can see stuff. Or a woman of insight, you can see stuff that no one else sees. And it's not just a matter of seeing things that no one else sees, though. It's also a matter of, be, a matter of being able to imagine op, like stuff that no one else can like think through. So like if someone says to you, hey, man, like I just am like between a rock and a hard place. And I only have, the only way I see it, I've got two, like two choices of what I can do. And you're able to say, well, I can, actually, I can actually see 10 different options that you have and be able to lay those things out for them to see it clearly. Like that's someone of great insight, someone who can see distinctions where everyone else, it's just really blurry to them. You see it with great detail and be able to uh, draw those distinctions. That's what insight is. So that's one synonym for wisdom. Wisdom, one key characteristic of what wisdom is, is to have insight. The second synonym here to draw attention to is the word prudence. See that in verse 4. So Solomon starts off the book, says, okay, I'm writing these Proverbs for this. And then one of the things he says is to give prudence to the simple. And the word prudence translates a Hebrew word that means practical or strategic. All right? So uh, this is basically someone who uh, can not just see what should be, but can figure out how to get there. He can think through like, okay, now I just don't have a goal and I'm not just all words, but I could actually think through a plan that would get this goal accomplished and, and get us there. That's someone who has prudence, um, you know, uh, can bring a goal into reality, not just talk about it. 
Then the third synonym that's used here is the word instruction, all right? So again, verse 2 talks about to know wisdom and instruction. And instruction is kind of a strange English word to translate a Hebrew word that means discipline or, or uh, to correct for the forming of character. So kind of tie all those things together and set back and see, okay, insight, prudence, and instruction. What, what is wisdom? I really, really like how uh, this one Old Testament scholar, Gerhard von Rod, put it. He, he said it, summing it up, that wisdom, according to the Bible, is competence with regard to the realities of life. Wisdom is competence in regard to the realities of life. Or put another way, it, wisdom is competence with regard to how life really works. That, that makes sense? So when you, when you have this competence this, that comes from insight and prudence and instruction about how life really works, then you are wise. You're, you're a wise person. And so just to draw out a little bit more of a distinction here, that means that wisdom isn't just knowledge, right? Certainly, wisdom assumes knowledge. It's hard to be wise about a subject that you know nothing about. You need to have knowledge. But I think we all know this, is that you can be very knowledgeable about a subject and still be completely stupid, right? Just put it bluntly. Because wisdom actually knows what to do with the knowledge that you have. So it's not just knowledge. Wisdom assumes knowledge, but it's more than just knowledge. you got to know what to do with the knowledge that you have. That's what makes you wise. Also, just to say, wisdom is not the same as being a good person or a moral person. But it does assume that because, like, as the Bible lays out, like, God did create the universe. He created us. Like, there's, there is a God who's in control of all this and made everything to work a certain way. And that's, you know, clearly what the Bible affirms. Well, if that's true, and it is, then to not obey God isn't just to be unmoral. It's also, to put it very bluntly, uh, it's also stupid, right? Because the way that God designed the life to work, if he is God and he really did design life to work, to go opposite of that is to go in a way that will eventually catch up to you and cause you and perhaps others harm as well. So it's not just a matter of being good. It's also, uh, you know, it's not just about, um, being good, yeah, it's, it's also about just being wise, doing what God says. However, you can be good, you can be moral, and you can also still be very stupid, right? And here's, here's how this applies. The, the reason that's the case is because uh, wisdom also applies to the, you know, give or take 80% of life that God's moral directives don't apply to directly, Right? And I you know, just completely made up the stat 80%. But we all know that there's, like, you make decisions all the time that aren't really a matter of, like, was this, is this right or wrong? I mean, I'm, many times you will come up to me and ask, okay, I'm thinking about taking a job. And I don't know, should I take this job or take this job? Well, friends, it, unless the job choices are being a bank robber or, and an engineer, then this God's you know, moral directors are not going to really help us and make that decision. We'll just say, don't be the bank robber, be the engineer. But most of us, it's like, should I be an engineer here or an engineer here? Well, how do we know? How can we apply? How does the being good moral person isn't going to make you make a good decision there? You need wisdom. So wisdom is more than just being moral. And you, without wisdom, you can be moral and be quite stupid and make a lot of bad choices. So 
it's important that we get wisdom. You see that? We need wisdom. We've got all these choices to make. How do we know what choices to, to make? We need wisdom. So, second point, we need to get wisdom. And look, these, seven, these uh, verses I read at the end of the passage, they really drive that home. Again, look at verse 32. It says, For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of, or disaster. Now, this is, a, like, this is a strong warning, is it not? Is it, Solomon is saying, and God through him, and his word is saying, okay, hey, you need wisdom. Because if you don't have it, it's going to lead to your destruction. It's going to kill you. It's going to harm you. And you can also read into that throughout the rest of the Proverbs that it could also harm many others as well. So you need to get it because without it, it's not just a matter of being, you know, every once in a while making a bad decision. It's actually going to result in destruction. It's going to result in death, perhaps. It's definitely going to result in suffering and harm. It will hurt you if you don't have it. So we need we need to get it. The other reason why we need to get wisdom is because um, we don't naturally have it. You, you don't tell someone to go get something that they already have, right? But we're commanded in Proverbs over and over again in the first few chapters, and we'll see it some next week and the week after, that we're really told to go and get wisdom. A pro- Solomon says here that he's writing this, that we may obtain wisdom. Well, why do we need Because we don't have it. See, we are naturally what Paul, refer, I mean Paul, what Solomon refers to in this passage are the, the simple or the fools. So let me uh, define those terms for you. The, the simple is a term that refers to naive people that are too unrooted and too uninformed to make smart decisions, so they just go with the crowd. So don't, don't get upset with me. I'm calling you guys all simple and, and fools. I, I'm calling myself that too, if that makes you feel any better. But we are naturally this way, like, especially when you think about being simple. We're all born with this bent, aren't we? I mean, what's, what's so bad about middle school? In middle school, all of the simpleness in us comes out. I think about Jeremy Kirkland. Jeremy Kirkland in, in middle school and high school actually had a hat that had the word simple on it. And, and it described him really well in those, those stages of life. Not so much now. Well, we all know simple, right? Simple is you, you care so much about what others think that you go wayward. Like that's what this verse tells us, that we, we go off the road. We go off the track, the, the path of wisdom. We do a U-turn and go off-roading because we're following the opinions of the crowd or the people. And it's such a big deal to us, especially when you're younger, though it's interesting. I, I think social media now seems to be uh, um, pro- prolonging the effect or extending the effect where we just care so much about how we come across and how we look to others because you've got this open forum now where you can do that. But anyways, it's this matter whether you're young or now where you just are, you're unrooted to what you think so you go with the crowd. Simple care too much about what others think about them. Think about when I was in middle school. This this makes me look uh, really bad. But um, in middle school, I was uh, at a dance. I liked this girl, and uh, she agreed to go to the dance with me. And as I'm dancing with her to Garth Brooks' The Dance, 
It's very romantic. <laughs> I'm dancing with her, and all my friends are dancing around, and they are all like, as, as they come across by me, they're all saying, touch your butt, touch your butt, touch your butt. And like, I'm a sixth grader. I had, I had literally never thought about touching her butt. Like I wasn't, it wasn't on my mind at that point in time. But when everyone t- told me to do it, then I thought, I should probably touch her butt. And so I did, and I danced that whole song with my hand on her butt in sixth grade. I think, I think man, camp's not far from that. I, could be, I can't believe that uh, I'm going to have to have this conversation with my sons. But um, <laughs> little did I know that the chaperones of that dance were uh, seeing me do that, and they're also great friends with my parents. And so they didn't come and correct me. They just went and told my parents jerks. And so uh, I got home from the dance and was confronted by my parents and got in plenty of trouble because the waywardness of the simple leads to harm and destruction, right? It was not good. It was not good at all. But I would have never done that if it wasn't for my friends. It's their fault. But I was simple. I was simple. Man, how often are the decisions that we make are, are really as a result of trying to do what others are, whether it's politically correct or whether it's cool or whatever, like that is a natural bent in us. We're born simple. In addition, the other term that uh, Solomon uses here is not just simple, but it's, it's the fool. Now, simple is a type of foolishness, and the fool here is also a type of foolishness. And when Proverbs refers to the fool, though, it's a a distinct type of foolishness that's actually quite opposite of the foolishness of the simple. Because you can, again, the foolishness of the simple really you boil down to caring too much about what others think about you. Where the, the fool is actually someone who's so obstinate in their foolishness that they don't care enough about what others think. It's, a, it's kind of the opposite. You, you follow me? So, so a fool in Proverbs is someone who is just wise and smart in their own eyes. So they don't listen to anybody else. They're not persuaded by anyone else. They're, they're stubborn. They think they've always got it right. They're wise in their own eyes. They don't care enough about what others think. That's who a fool is, and that also leads to great destruction. It, oftentimes, we go in life, we go from being the simple to somewhere, I don't know where it happens, late 20s, early 30s-ish, where you go from being the simple to becoming the fool. <laughs> it's a type of transition where you're like too much swayed, and now you're like, I've got life figured out, and I don't need to listen to anybody else because I got it, right? And the, now you're this obstinate fool. You, Solomon's saying, hey, both of those will lead to destruction. Both of those will kill you. Both of those will cause you harm and cause others harm as well. And here's why. Because both of those, simple and a fool, are out of touch with reality. Remember, wisdom is competence in regard to how life really works. It's, it's competence in regard to the realities of life. Well, the simple... And the fool are both out of touch with reality because the simple, they're in touch with what others think and the fool is in touch with what he thinks, but neither of those things are often in touch with what reality really is. So like there's this interesting proverb in, uh, in Proverbs 26 that kind of sums up a little bit of this. And that, that's uh, like if you put yourself in a situation or say that you find yourself in a situation where... Um, 
there's you got friends that are or coworkers or someone that's talking about something or considering doing something that would be really foolish, like really like they're you know they're talking about something they shouldn't be doing or or something that they're really wrong about or whatever it might be. Just imagine that kind of situation, and you think, okay, what should I do here? Well, the, the simple would be be tempted to uh, go just go along with what they're doing. Where the obstinate fool, if they disagreed with what they were doing, would want to just say something right away and call them out and like tell them the right way to, to go, right? What's interesting is that in Proverbs, we're told that it could be that both of those responses could be right. <laughs> if we're told in Proverbs that it could be that, okay, they're talking about this, and you just decide, hey, I'm going to keep my mouth shut and not, not join them in it, but not call them out in it. I'm just going to let them keep going with that. Or I should say something and call their foolishness out and make them give an account for it. Proverbs tells us that we should actually do both of those things at different times. Like, let me read Proverbs chapter 26. says it this way. Um, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. That's one proverb. Then directly afterwards, we read, answer a fool according to his folly, lest... uh, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So we read that and we think, okay, so should I call him out or should I not call him out, right? It's, what, what is it? And the reason we ask that question is because we read Proverbs wrong. Because we read Proverbs wrong usually uh, through reading it like a list of rules. And we read this and we think, okay, so what should I do? Should I call the fool out or should I not call the fool out? And it's contradictory, but that's not actually how you read Proverbs. Proverbs is not a list of rules. It's wise advice. It's wisdom. And wisdom is life in regard to how life really works. It's competence in regard to how life really works. And guys, we know this. Think about this. We all have been in a position where we've realized, okay, in this situation, what would be wise is that I should just keep my mouth shut. But in this situation, what would be wise is that I need to speak up. See, that's how life really works. Sometimes it's right to say something, and sometimes it's not. You think, okay, well, how do I know? Because we don't just intuitively know that, do we? Which, again, brings us back to the point that we must get wisdom. See, we often put our foot in our mouth or don't say something when we should say because we are not wise. And we need to get wisdom. The frustrating thing is, especially in our Amazon Prime type culture where we expect everything to happen overnight, uh, wisdom is not something that you can just get. It's not something that you just get quickly. Wisdom is a lifelong pursuit. So you, you grow wise as you continue to understand who God is. You understand what he says. You understand your own heart. You go through suffering. You grow in experience. You listen to advice from others. These are the ways that you grow wise. Oftentimes we feel our need for wisdom, though, whenever you're faced with a decision, you don't know what, what to do, Right? Again, those are the type of questions people come to me as the pastor with oftentimes. Hey, I've got this opportunity, this opportunity. I don't know what I should do. And can you tell me how to pray through this so where I can make sure that I understand what God wants me to do or what's your advice? 
How do I know what to do? And I'm afraid that my answer, really the, the Bible's answer to that question, isn't as immediately as helpful as they want it to be, or you may want it to be, or I may want it to be. Because the Bible's answer to that question is that the way that we make wise decisions is by becoming a wise person. And that there's really not a whole huge shortcut to that. Now, you can seek out wise advice from others, and you can seek out what the Bible would say about it. But again, there's oftentimes there's topics that 80% that I made up, but 80% of things that the Bible won't specifically speak to. And so you're left, okay, I can seek the advice of others, but how do I know what decision to make? The way that you know what decision to make, the way that you make a wise decision, friends, is by becoming a wise person. And that takes time. And it takes time because we aren't born wise. We have to get wisdom. And a part of this series, friends, is just trying to encourage you to, if you're not already, pursue wisdom. Go get it. Seek it out. Because you need it. And when you need it, you're not going to have time to get it. And so begin getting it now. Cool? Rah, rah, rah. I'm going to get wisdom. Yeah? Okay. I can feel you all with me. Um, Proverbs twenty two fifteen says it this way. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. And what that means is that we're all born with foolishness. That we all have that in us. And therefore, we need to get, need to get wisdom. But how do you get it? How do you get it? That's what I want to kind of end this message with. And, you know, for sake of time, I basically can only say, join us for the next two weeks and we will talk about how to get wisdom. Because there's much to be said on that, right? But for now, specifically in this passage, what we see is that there is a uh, reference about how we can begin to get wisdom. In fact, Verse 7 says that exact thing. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the, begin, so the fear of the Lord is the, is the beginning to wisdom. Now, what's rough about that verse is that it doesn't make a lot of sense. Right? Like, okay, what is fear of the Lord? What does that even mean? And like, how does that equal wisdom and all that? So, so let me try to explain that briefly for you right here. And I'm going to lean on uh, Tim Keller, a pastor from New York. I really appreciate him. He's taught me a whole lot. But I love how he says this. He says that uh, the, the, the way to begin gaining wisdom, as he's talking about verse 7 of Proverbs, he says the way to begin gaining wisdom is through a paradoxical fear and the foolishness of the cross. A paradoxical fear and the, foolishness, the foolishness of the cross. And let me... Let me explain what I mean by that. The, the paradoxical fear is this, that uh, what you see in verse 7, that the fear of the Lord is beginning of knowledge, is that this, this idea that fear is used in a positive sense. You following that? Like it doesn't, fear here is not used negatively. But that's weird because that's how we usually understand the word fear. Like I just taught on this back in, uh, you know, uh, a couple, you know, earlier in June. And I just at Central, I did the same message where Jesus is actually commanding us not to be afraid. Like do not fear. So in that sense, fear is like a bad thing. So why would we want it here? Or I think about First uh, John talks about, hey, perfect love casts out fear. Or Paul says in Timothy how God hasn't given us a spirit of timidity or hasn't given us a spirit of fear. So if that's the case, then why in the world is we, are we told here to fear God, and that that's the beginning of wisdom. What, what does that mean? Well, here, here's what I think what it's in reference to. is that there is a positive fear and there is a negative fear. 
There's a positive type of fear and there's a negative type of fear. And I think we all understand this when you think a little bit about it, right? There's, there's fear that you can feel in the presence of somebody that's a negative fear that really at its heart comes from the, the, you not quite trusting that person. If you think this person will harm you or hurt you or say something that would degrade you, then you feel fear in their presence. But there's also a type of fear that you have in the, in their present, in the presence of someone that's this really positive fear that comes, that's rooted in reverence, right? Where you are before someone that you just so greatly respect that you feel yourself tremble a little bit or your, your voice will quiver a little bit. And it's not because you think they're going to hurt you. It's because you're afraid that you might do something that would hurt them or offend them or let them down or do something that be found boring in their eyes or, or anything like that. You're not, see, the negative fear is really a self-centered fear where you're worried about how, what they're going to do to you because you think they might hurt you. And the positive fear is this other centered fear where you are so respect them and so treasure them that you don't want to do anything to let them down or to grieve them. Like I think about when I was in college, I was a, had a chance to be discipled by my pastor there that I greatly respected. And I had asked him to disciple me. It was my sophomore year. And he, was, he didn't usually disciple college students. We had a college pastor to disciple college students. But I asked him and he said, yeah, I'm happy to do this for you. I'm just about to start a new group. And you can just join me this Tuesday, 1230. Just come on in. So, okay, great. So I walk in thinking that this group is going to be a group of other college students and our pastor. But instead, I walk in, and it's our pastor, greatly, greatly revered, and a guy named Greg Mott, who was the leader of Breakaway at that time, and now is the pastor of First Baptist Church in Houston, a huge church. And this guy was a stud. And it's like, man, just to like be around him, it's like, oh, it's Greg Mott, right? And then Dr. Alan Rigsby was the other guy that's in there. And Dr. Rigsby is like the professor of all of A&M. Like he was the guy that everybody wanted to take, this huge, awesome African-American motivational speaker and pastor. So he pastored a church, this, this great African-American church in Bryan. He was a motivational speaker. He was the chat for the Texas A&M football team, and he was my favorite prof. And I would sit down, and it's these guys. It's Dwight, and it's Greg, and it's Dr. Rigsby, and it's me, sophomore in college. And I'm like, what am I doing here? And I'm like cowering in fear. But it's not because I was afraid these guys would hurt me. It's because I'm like in their presence. And I'm like, oh, and I really respect these guys. It's incredible reverence. And so I was in that study for an entire semester. And I think I said like four words, but I wrote down every single thing that they said. Because, you know, guys, that's the kind of reverence. That's the kind of fear that this is in reference to. When we have uh, fear before God, it's this positive, joy-filled reverence that's not focused on, hey, God's going to hurt me, but, man, I don't want to grieve God because I so treasure him, because I so value him for who he is. To have that kind of fear before God, though, requires something. And it requires this, a really strong belief that God isn't there to hurt you. And that God isn't there to condemn you. See, if you don't have that conviction, you don't have that belief, then, you know, that promise, then you're going to cower before God. And your, your relationship to God is just going to be a matter of, okay, I've got to jump through these hoops to keep maybe the, so that God will continue to bless me, or I've got to jump through these hoops so that God won't strike me with lightning or do anything to hurt me. But like, that's... That's not what 
psalm is talking about here as the beginning of wisdom. That's a completely different relationship with God. But most people function with that kind of relationship with God. Here, this kind of fear is completely founded on the gospel. It's founded on this conviction that God isn't there to condemn me because of what Christ has done for me instead. And to have that kind of understanding that would lead to this kind of joy-filled fear, we have to put Proverbs in the entire story of the Bible. And that's, guys, that's where we get this idea of, okay, I can have this kind of wisdom from God if I have this paradoxical fear, this positive fear, and through the foolishness of the cross. Because here's the interesting thing. When you put the Proverbs in the context of the entire Bible, what we learn in the Old Testament is that there is this positive and negative use of the word fear. But what we learn in the New Testament, so that we learn that in the Old Testament, what we learn in the New Testament is that there are also this positive and negative use of the word foolish. See, there's this foolishness, this negative foolishness that we've been talking about this morning, but there's also this positive foolishness that Paul uses to refer to the, as, uh, when referring to the cross. That the cross itself is foolishness to mankind. When you think about the cross, the reason that comes across as foolishness is this. The message of the cross, friends, is that uh, the God of the universe who created us loved us so much that he came to earth as one of us, perfectly God and perfectly human. But when he came as the Messiah, his announcement was that the kingdom of God is at hand or the kingdom of God is near, that he's coming to usher in the kingdom. But we would say, okay, if God shows up on earth as Messiah to usher in the kingdom, the way he's going to do that is by getting rid of all of the evil. And so, and for us, in our wisdom, all of the evil is all of those people, right? And we all have those people, whether it's, the Republicans or the Democrats or the pro-gay marriage or the anti-gay marriage or the uh, people who uh, want to keep waving the Confederate flag or the people who just removed Dukes of Hazard from ever showing on TV ever again. And you have those people and you think it's those people, it's those people, the evil people. Those are the people that the Messiah would come to get rid of. And if he does, then the world would be a better place. That would make sense to us. That's the wisdom of man. But the cross is complete foolishness to us. But the truth is, is that's not foolishness. It's divine wisdom. Because in the cross, what we see is that God had a plan in all of his wisdom. A way to end all evil without ending all of us. Because the truth is, is that the people who are evil are not those people unless those people are all of us people. I mean, Isaiah 53, 6 says it this way. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And then goes on to say that this is what the Lord has laid on him, talking about Jesus, the iniquity of us all. For that's the foolishness of the cross that Jesus would come and not uh, come to kill those people in which we are all those people. But he came to die 
for those people so that he could end evil without ending us. And through Jesus' death and resurrection, he made a way for us to be reunited with God, reconciled to him. And because that's who God is, friends, because that's who God is, that he's that loving, that he's that gracious, that he's that forgiving, that he's that holy, that he's that just, that he's that awesome, then we look at that, the foolishness of the cross, and it causes us to greatly revere and treasure God. God, this is what you're like? Wow, okay. And I, I can be in your presence, and I can know you. To be in your presence of you, that makes me tremble. That causes this positive fear where I'm not left thinking, what are you going to do to me? I understand you won't condemn me because you've died for me in Christ. And so I'm not fearful in the negative sense. I'm fearful in the positive sense. This is who you are. I would never want to do anything, anything at all to grieve you. I would never want to do anything, anything at all to disappoint you. And all of a sudden you begin to gain wisdom because hear this. When you revere Jesus in that way, revere God in that way, fear God in that way, then all of a sudden the voice of the crowd is not near as weighty as God's voice. And so you don't live the life of the simple. And all of a sudden the voice of God outweighs your own arrogant voice and you are humbled. You say, okay, God, I don't have it all figured out, but you do. Tell me what to do. And you begin to grow wise. It's the foolishness of the cross that allows us to become wise when we're sure that God will not condemn us because he condemned his son on our behalf. And we see him for who he is. It causes us to treasure him. And his voice grows loud in our ears. And since he is the all-wise God, that then we will begin to live wisely. See, the foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of man, as Paul put it. Guys, that's where we grow wise. That's where it begins. Think about Psalm 130. It says this. this is 130 verse 4. Because you have forgiven me, because I see your forgiveness and grace, therefore I fear you. And that doesn't make any sense in the negative sense. Why would I fear you? Because your your grace, your forgiveness. No, no, no. It's your forgiveness and grace that causes me to revere you. God, you are awesome. You are the treasure of all. You're the best of all. For I fear you in a positive sense, this joy-filled sense. God, may God give us that kind of fear for him. Where his voice would outweigh ours and the crowd's. We're going to end our time by taking communion and then spending some time in worship. And um, communion is a great way to end this because it's our chance to like hold in our hands uh, the representation of the gospel message. Jesus' body broken for us and Jesus' blood spilled for us to recall us to remember how much God loved us, that he didn't come to condemn us, but Jesus took the blame and that there is no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. And we hold this, we should think and let us meditate on this is how beautiful God is. This is how amazing God is. And begin to treasure him and have this positive, joy-filled fear that causes you to think, my God, I would never want to do anything to grieve you. I know if I do, you will forgive me, but I don't want to grieve you. 
Make me wise. So you fear God in that way. What results is wisdom. So meditate on that. You're gonna, during the worship set, you come up and grab a cup, grab bread, take it on your own when you're ready. But I want you to think about that as you do, as we respond in worship. Let me pray, and then the band can come up. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for your word, God. It, uh, it cuts us sometimes, having to re- recognize that we're not wise. God, that we're f- fools and we can be simple. But God, thank you so much for the truth that your love for us is not conditioned on our wisdom. But Lord, your love for us is demonstrated by your wisdom. And that Christ came and died for us in all of our foolishness. So that in him we may be made your sons and daughters. That you would end evil without ending us. God, you're amazing. You're an amazing God. And may we treasure you above all else. And that in treasuring you, we would find wisdom. And make us wise for your glory and the good of others as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.